welcome to this podcast from Adelaide Place Baptist Church. We are a community of disciples, apprentices of Jesus, who live and work in the city of Glasgow, and it's our vision to join God in the renewal of all things. Our discipleship to Jesus is for all of our lives, so as well as listening to this podcast, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning, or get involved in one of our missional communities, which are across the city throughout the week. Our prayer is that you encounter Jesus in some way through this podcast. More information can be found at apbc.net. Good morning, everyone. Uh, If you want to bring your conversations to a close, that'd be awesome. Uh, Are you actually... Did that in my church when I asked people to stop doing that, they just keep going, they don't listen to me. So uh, that was quite a surprise. Uh, it's great to be here with you uh, this morning. Uh, my name's Glenn. Uh, I am the pastor at Portobello Baptist Church. I am also uh, a member of the national team of the Baptist Union of Scotland. I am uh, the future church lead, which is quite a grand title. Uh, I don't carry a crystal ball. I really don't know much about the future, but um, I want to tell you a little bit about my role with the, na- with the national team and a little bit about what's going on with the Baptist Union just now before we uh, tuck into uh, Mark this morning. Um, my role is really about trying to help our union of churches think about uh, what it is that we're doing as we go forward, as we think about what, what the next 10 years looks like, and particularly in relation to how we might church plant and how we might think about uh, things like experimental forms of church. The Baptist Union of Scotland, like nearly every other traditional denomination, has declined in number over the last number of years. Ours hasn't been as steep as some of the traditional church declines, but it has declined. In fact, about 1% a year since the 19, uh, for the last 50 years. So in a church like yours, it's maybe one person leaving each year. You don't notice it, do you? But when you add that up over 50 years, what you find is that you're half the size you were 50 years ago. Um, So what do we want to do about that? Well, Martin Hodson, who's the the general director of the Baptist Union, he uh, had this real sense that God was saying to him, did I call you into this role to oversee decline? And the answer to that, thankfully, was no, he didn't call him into that to oversee decline. And he brought that to the national team and we had some time of prayer and we were asking the question, what does it mean for our family of churches, those of us who choose to be part of the union, because we believe that we can do mission better together than we could do separately. What does it mean for us to think about increasing rather than decreasing? And the passage that I know has meant a lot to you as a church, Jeremiah 29, that uh, letter from God to the people in exile, where God says, look, I want you to build houses and to plant gardens and to have families and to marry your children. And then he says this, and this is the part that really leapt out to us. God says, I want you to increase there, not decrease. And so our question was, what does it look like to position ourselves, not for inevitable decrease, but for a season of increase? And we've got four things that we think are really important. One is just more of the same. We've got great churches like Adelaide Place Baptist Church and like Portobello Baptist Church and 150 others around the the nation. You've got to say that now because it's online, right? So you're all great. Uh, 
we, got, we got about 158 churches around the nation and we want them to flourish and thrive in the way and where God has called them and, uh, and to what God is calling them for this next season. But also, we recognize that if we're going to increase, we need more than just that. And so we, want, we got three Ps because we're Christians, right? And we need three Ps because then it's memorable and uh, there's something godly about having three Ps. The first of those is prayer. Because friends, whether it's Adelaide Place growing or it's us as a family of churches growing, it cannot be about our best efforts. It has to be about God doing a remarkable work in our nation. And that starts with us becoming a movement characterized by prayer. Wouldn't that be a lovely thing to be known for when people say, oh, Baptist Union, what's that about? People go, oh, we pray, we pray. Because we're not just committed to our churches growing, we want to see a massive movement of God in our nation and we want to see all the denominations and all the networks and all churches flourish and grow. So the first is prayer. The second is planting. That's the one that gets me excited, so I'm gonna be really quick on this. But we really do believe God is calling us to a season of planting churches. Uh, planting churches like what does that mean? Well, it might mean taking a group of people from one church and going to a new community and planting a church there. It could be replanting a church, a revitalization work of a church that's perhaps come to the end of a season and it's time for a new season. But also we want to see new innovative things spring up in places that the church hasn't really been able to take a foothold. And that could be geographic or it could be cultural spaces. And we want to see those flourish as well. And so we're positioning ourselves to be able to do that. Uh, and then the final one is you go, well, that's great, but where do the people come from? Because isn't that what it's always about? And so we really want to commit to creating a structure of developing leaders to lead in this new missional, mission-focused way. And so we're going to put some stuff together with that. And at Baptist Council, and I'll not bore you with what Baptist Council is, don't worry, but Baptist Council... Uh, we presented all this to them. They were very excited about the possibility of it. And they've put aside a significant amount of money to make this happen. So it's not just that we're talking about words here, but we're talking about significant investment of capital um, and of time. And so Adelaide Place, we're delighted at what God is doing here with you guys. And we're really excited that we'll be able to partner with you to see more of that. But we hope together that as a family of churches, we'll be in a place where we can talk in the next five and 10 years about the number of churches around the nation that we've planted because church planting is one of the ways that we can see people come to know Jesus. And ultimately, that's what we're all about. We want people to come to know the good news that Jesus is the best news that there is, that there is a place to belong, that there is a place where we can be healed and whole, that there is a place where we can discover our true purpose and our true identity. And so that's what we're longing for. So that's what my job with the Baptist Union is, to make a little bit of that happen along with the rest of the national team. Uh, and the rest of my time I spend at Portobello Baptist Church. Uh, and I bring their greetings to you this morning. Uh, both Stephen and David have preached uh, with us over the last few years and we're very grateful to you for letting them come. Uh, and also for taking them back again because we didn't really want them to stay. Uh, but uh, it's been, uh, your church has been a blessing to us in that way and so we want to say thank you for that. I was given two chapters of the Gospel of Mark this morning. Um, Mark's cha Mark chapter two and three. Fiona did a brilliant job last week uh, of chapter one. Thank you to the internet. I was able to watch that. So well done, Fiona. Great job. 
One of the points she made is that the pace of Mark is really quick. It's snappy. It's on the go the whole time. And today's passage is no different. I am not going to stand here and read two chapters of the Gospel of Mark to us this morning because that will be all my time gone. And maybe that would be, by the end, you'll be, I wish he just read two chapters of Mark. Um, But I would encourage you to read it later uh, if you haven't already. Um, As you go through Mark, it's a brilliant read. It's it's snappy, it's quick, it's punchy. Um, And you'll come across stories that if you've been in church anytime, you'll know. But because of the way Mark tells them, I think they come fresh again because they're really quick and short. In these two chapters, we have Jesus forgiving and healing a paralyzed man. We have Jesus calling Levi and eating with sinners. We have Jesus questioned about fasting. We have Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath. We have Jesus healing on the Sabbath. We have a great crowd choosing to follow Jesus. We have Jesus appointing the 12 apostles. Jesus accused of being Beelzebub and Jesus discussing who his real family actually are. There's a fair bit in there. We're not going to do it all this morning. Uh, But many of you will know those stories, right? That you know those bits of the stories that appear. The one thing I noticed though, as I read through it afresh and wondered what on earth David had done asking me to preach on two chapters and saying, oh, it's the summer, by the way, we only talk for about 20 minutes. (laughs) I was like, hmm. But one thing jumped out at me. Mark tells us six times that people came to Jesus. Six times they came to Jesus. And each of those coming to Jesus is different uh, for different reasons and in different ways. And so I want us to look at those six ways that people came to Jesus. And I want us to reflect how do we come to Jesus? There is nothing better we can do with our lives, no matter whether you've been a Christian for 50 or 60 years or whether you've never given your life to Jesus, the best thing we can ever do is come to Jesus, right? That's a simple message. Many of you will have heard that before. What do you actually mean? Well, let's look at some of these uh, as we go through our passage today. Mark chapter two, verse three. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them since they could not get to him get him to Jesus because of the crowd they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on Jesus saw their faith and he said to the paralyzed man son your sons are forgiven if you've been in church any time at all you know this story right Those of you charged with leadership are grateful that nobody's climbing on the roof today, cutting a hole in it. These men came bringing something. They brought their friend. You see, they were out of hope. Their friend had nothing left. He was paralyzed. There was no NHS to fix him. There was nothing that could be done for him. They were out of hope. And then they hear about this miracle working man going around. What shall we do? Let us bring our friend and we will do anything to bring our friend. They had no hope. He was their last hope. 
Do you believe that Jesus cares enough for you that he could be your only hope? Whether you face challenges in your job and your career or in your family, what will you do? Will you try harder? Will you be better? Or will you bring your something to Jesus as your last hope, as your only hope? And will you do that despite the barriers that you have? These people ripped up somebody's perfectly good roof. Like, don't, don't miss that. Like, they demolished a guy's house to get to Jesus. I'm not advocating demolishing people's houses, but what do you need to remove in your life to bring your something to Jesus? Because he is the best last hope you could have. But be careful because they came wanting a particular thing. They wanted their friend to walk. Now, ultimately, their friend does walk. But Jesus' first answer isn't, yes, you can walk. His first answer is, your sins are forgiven. Sometimes we bring things to Jesus, and he says, oh, that's really kind of you. Thanks very much. I've got something very different I want to do first. So as you tear off the roof, as you find the this thing that's bringing that barrier Will you have the courage to listen to what Jesus actually says? What he really wants to do with that something that you bring to him? And trust that what he says really is the best news. They came bringing something. The next group of people, Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went outside beside the lake. A large crowd came to him. And he began to teach them. They came and they listened. Jesus had the words of life. You have to remember, this isn't like me coming through from the lovely east coast of Scotland to the damp and wet west coast. Jumping in my car this morning. Google Maps on, 65 minutes, where can I park? You have to pay for parking in Glasgow on a Sunday. Uh, find a car park. It was easy, right? If you want to come to Jesus and listen to his teaching in these days, you've got to buckle up your sandals and get walking in heat and dusty and difficult conditions. Even just turning up for this was a big deal. This one and the next one are quite similar, so we, you need to pay attention a little to the, the subtle difference. This one, they come and listen. He teaches. They're just listening to him. I really felt this week that I was challenged by this because here's the question. Are we humble enough just to come and listen to the Lord's teaching? Like if we've been around church for any length of time, we know stuff, Right? And most of us think we know quite a lot of stuff. And people like me think we know too much. But we've always got more to learn, right? We know there's a depth in these scriptures. We know the Spirit has new things to speak to us. We know there are others around who are wiser than us. Will we come, come to church, come to missional communities, Come to just hanging out with friends with the heart 
that says, I want to come and listen. We live in an age today where everyone has an opinion and everyone has a really strong opinion about everything. And so we just have this constant sense of outrage and, and my opinion's better than Sam's opinion because it's my opinion, so it's right. I have a teenage daughter, I deal with this a lot. She's wonderful and we brought her up to have her own mind and to be a strong-willed woman and to be able to express how she thinks and to argue well for her position. I regret that right now. <laughs> but the reality is that just expressing my opinion, I learn nothing. I just get to hear the sound of my own voice. And the beauty of our faith is that we're not invited to be individual Christians. I mean, I'm literally preaching to the choir about this, but coming to church matters. Belonging to the church matters because you're not supposed to do the Christian faith on your own. It's not a solo expedition. And so this coming and learning we find mentors in the church community, people who have gone before us. You know, there's literally nothing new under the sun. It might have new shape, but the reality is that the challenges that we face in this world have been faced by other people. If you're a new parent, it can be the most devastating, traumatic, crisis-laden time that you'll ever experience. You're like, what the heck? This little thing has turned our entire lives upside down. I will never be the same again. My whole life is ruined. Everything is terrible. Actually, there are people who have gone before you. A few others have had children. I promise you they've also thought exactly the same thing. And they can come to you and say, it's not always going to be like this. There is a moment that you have to live through. They can bring wisdom. The beauty of the church community brings mentors. The church also just brings people who see the world differently than you do. I know Stephen's actually pretty good at getting different voices from the front. That matters. Come and sit in the church and listen to what it is that would be said. But do you know what? The Spirit's always speaking. The Spirit is always speaking and we need to be listening. God is still teaching you directly today. The Holy Spirit speaks today. That matters. And of course, we have the scriptures. Search them. They're full of good news. They're full of direction. Will they tell you which job you should and shouldn't take? Probably not. But in conjunction with the Spirit and with the counsel of saints, then you can begin to discern some of those things. Friends, we all need to take the time and have the humility to come and listen to Jesus. The third one. They came and they asked. Mark chapter two, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? They came and they asked. This is a little different than the last one, but the upside of this is that Jesus has the answers. This is what they believe. 
They've got questions. Where shall we go with our questions? I know, we'll go and ask Jesus about what the answers are. What do you do when you're confused? Where do you go with your questions? Friends, the world is complicated. We know this. It's enormously complicated. But I would suggest one of the most important questions that you face today is from whom will you learn? Your news app? Somebody on Twitter who's got a funky picture as their, as their avatar? Some Instagram celebrity? Lord help us. But who will you learn from? Is Jesus the obvious answer that you give when you're thinking about an issue? Or oh, I'll ask Jesus. Simon Peter says to Jesus when he's asked if, are you going to give up on me too? He says this in John chapter 6, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, you alone have the words of eternal life. Friends, when you're struggling with issues and questions, and I'm sure it wouldn't take a genius to figure out some of the questions and issues that people are wrestling with, with the kind of news that we see in the last few weeks, will you go to Jesus with those and not just the shouty people on the internet or the shouty people on the TV? Will you bring those to your church community and will you listen, like we just talked about? But will you ask, have the courage to say, I've got a question about this. I genuinely don't understand. Again, we're back to it. It needs humility. Because it's not, I've got a question. And let me tell you, it's, I've got a question. Could you help me know what Jesus thinks about this? They came and they asked. And I'm going to go back to that what I said earlier, be careful because the answer might not be what you expect. They ask about fasting and Jesus ends up talking to them about new wine and wineskins. Like, eh? But if we had time to dig into it, it makes perfect sense. The point is that the answer doesn't always look like we expect it to. I used to go on an annual retreat where I would take my motorbike and a tent and a book and my Bible and I'd go away. And sometimes I'd go with a specific question that I was wrestling with that I wanted God to break through. So I thought it was holy to go away and sleep in a tent. I'm now 46 and I realize there's nothing holy about sleeping in a tent at all. Um, but I would go with this question and I would spend my days praying and reading the scriptures and I wasn't holy enough for fasting on those events, but uh, I would pray and I'd ask God, and unbelievable how many times I'd go and I'd have this question about, you know, what should we do with this or what should I do with that? And God would say, that's a great question, Glenn, and I'd love to answer that, but how about, first of all, we deal with this? And you're like, I don't want to deal with that. It's a bit complicated and difficult, and that'll mean I need to change, so no thank you very much. Can we come back? We've got to have the humility. If we're going to ask Jesus, we've got to be okay with what he wants to answer, not necessarily the bit that I want to deal with. Number four, they came because of what they heard. Mark chapter three, 
Verse 8. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Jesus had been demonstrating the power of the kingdom. He'd been healing people. He'd been casting out demons. And it drew a crowd because people had been talking about the mighty works that he'd been doing. I, I just want to encourage you with this one. God is doing brilliant things in Adelaide Place. In individuals, in you as a church, and in the next few weeks in your building. Thanks be to God, we've been praying for that one for a while. <laughs> Friends, do you tell other folks about the good things God is doing here? Like, I think you guys should be boasting in what God is doing in your church. That probably makes some of you squirm a little, but that's what was going on here, right? People have been hanging about with Jesus and they go back and they say, I was with that Jesus guy and you won't believe what happened. Like these dudes ripped a roof off a building and lowered down this guy and he says, your sins are forgiven. Like who does he think he is? And oh, and by the way, then the paralyzed guy got up and walked away. Are you joking? That can't be real. What about, you know our church in the center of Glasgow, we're about to do this incredible project to make our building much better for us and for our community. How did you do that? Oh, well, we got all this money. Where did you get the money from? Huh. God provided the money. How, how did you manage to do that in a building like this? Because God's with us. You tell the stories of the baptisms that you had, people's lives being transformed. Boast in what you see Jesus doing. Because it will gather a crowd because that's always been the way that it works. Tell people about the good things God's doing and they will come because of what they heard. Number five, they came because they were called. Jesus went up on a mountainside, Mark 3, 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. It's important to remember that the 12 people who are marked out as apostles that were called to him here, 11 of them die because of this story. This moment, 11 of them called up onto a hillside. They're like, oh, this is cool. Jesus called us out, not those other ones. You can imagine that kind of chat going on. Like, yeah, you're all gonna die because of this. Apart from John, who seems to have got to live on an island for a long time. Is Jesus calling you to a hard thing? Is there someone in here today, you know Jesus is calling you to something, but it's a hard thing. Do you have the courage to step into that? Because friends, God's calling is really easy. I know that when we're discerning things, we often talk about, oh, there was an open door here and there was, God opened this opportunity and, and that's right and good. But in my experience, the things God really calls us to most often in the long run are hard things. They're really difficult, it's challenging. It costs us something. In fact, it's often easier to be more like Jonah 
who decides to run from God's calling than it is to be one of the 12 uh, apostles who said Jesus called and they came to him. Friends, if God is calling you, let me encourage you to step into that. And I mean, I don't mean calling to do this kind of thing. Like this is the boring bit. The exciting bit is those of you who are called in the workplace and called in the home and called in the communities that you find yourselves living in. Those are the exciting places. You guys get to be at the absolute coal face of the kingdom of God intersecting with our world. I'm convinced my wife does more good for the kingdom of God than I do. She's a GP uh, in Edinburgh. She works in an area of deprivation. She does remarkable work every day with people, transforming lives way more than I do. The calling of God is rarely and should rarely be to people to do this kind of thing because you're all called as missionaries in the places that you're found. So listen to how he's calling you. And let me encourage you, yes, it will be difficult, but have courage and step in to what he's calling you to. Last one, we have a hallelujah. This one's a little odd. John 3, 22. Uh, Jesus has entered a house uh, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. I love that. For they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law came down from Jerusalem and they said, he's possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. They came from Jerusalem. Why does this matter? These are the people with power. These are the people with authority. These are the people who decided how things should and should not be done. And they had decided that Jesus was not how things should be done. And so they came down from Jerusalem to sort that out. See, Jesus' actions upset the powers of the day. They would have been okay with a Messiah as long as it was a Messiah that was coming to overthrow the Romans and put the Jewish people back in their rightful place. But a Messiah that spent time with tax collectors and sinners, a Messiah that cast out demons, a Messiah that didn't want power but kept telling people to keep it a secret. It's really interesting. It's the one thing Jesus is clearly rubbish at is getting things to be kept a secret. Because we keep saying, and they heard about, and they heard, I thought he told them to be a secret. Anyway, you'll notice that through the whole Gospel of Mark. It's one of the themes. Um, but he upset the powers of the day because he was not what they wanted or expected. His actions were countercultural. For example, he had lots of women traveling around with him. Not cool, not done. He spoke to people who should not be spoken to. He touched people who should not be touched. His expression of who God was who God is. And this is the thing we must always remember. It really wasn't that big a deal that Jesus was like God, right? There's been loads of godly people. In fact, I suspect you know godly people who are, you, you meet them and you discover something of the character of God because they've just the way that they are and their holiness or their wisdom or whatever, right? You, you know people like this, right? The remarkable thing about Jesus is that he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, God is like Jesus. Everything we can say about Jesus is true about God. 
And so he expresses this radical love. We're going to take communion in a moment. We will remember that. An orthodox love, yet radical. One that upturned the powers of the day because it welcomed those who were not supposed to be welcomed. It demonstrated power, but not the kind of power they wanted. And it claimed to be able to do the sorts of things that only God could do. And so the powerful came. And that ultimately is the story of the crucifixion. Because you see, if Jesus is just a lovely guy who did nice things for people and who loved people radically, nobody gets crucified for that. But he upturned the powers of the day. He said, no, the world is different than you say it is. That actually there is another way. And friends, I think we need to learn from that. We need to have the courage to stand differently from our culture and say there is another way. There are different things that we should be doing. And it will take courage, but it's who Jesus was. And our call is to be more like Jesus. So what's the message? It's simple, friends. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever it is that's happening, would you come to Jesus today? He is the one who has the answers for you. Not some bloke standing at the front talking to you. Maybe not even your friends. But Jesus himself has the answers for you. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning as your children. We come recognizing our need of you. And each of us will come in a different fashion with different needs and different challenges different hopes and different desires. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are able to meet each and every one of us where we are at. So just as we sit here, Lord, would you come and would you speak to each and every person here? Those who need some encouragement. Those who need to bring something to Jesus. Those who need to listen. those who need to hear the call of God again. Spirit of the living God, speak. Speak to us this morning. come to you Lord trusting that you alone have the words of eternal life Amen